The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode number 87. My name is Chess Griffin. In this episode, we've got another interview, and it's with uh, with a gentleman who uh, works for a school district, and he's got some very interesting things to say and, and has got uh, uh, some some good thoughts on the whole Linux and school subject, and, and uh, it's, it's kind of cool, some of the things that they've been able to do. Uh, so that's what we're going to get to. It's a fairly long interview. Uh, I won't have any uh, listener feedback this week because of the length of the show, uh, but I do have three audio comments from listeners. These were the last three audio comments kind of came in under the wire uh, for this little contest for, you know, um, uh, for the best listener tips submitted uh, by the end of November. So I realize it's, it's December, but these uh, tips all came in. Uh, during the month of November. Uh, so these were the last ones. Uh, so I'll go ahead and play the these three uh, listener tips as well, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap up. So uh, let's get right to this interview. Okay, well, tonight I'm speaking with uh, Corey Yeager. Uh, Corey, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Welcome. Well, that's Great to be here. <laughs> well, good, good. I, um, you know, I, I do appreciate you taking the time out of your, you know, busy schedule on a on a weeknight and everything. Um, but um, I, I, th- I think we've got some interesting things to talk about, especially since this is a topic that I've touched on quite a bit in this show from time to time, and that's the whole idea of Linux in schools. Um, why don't we start? Maybe you just kind of give me a brief description of, of you know, who you are and what you do now. Uh, we'll we'll come back to that in more detail in a minute, but just to kind of you know maybe you can just kind of introduce yourself and 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 you know what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I work at a, a, a fairly small uh, school district in Wisconsin. Uh, we have about five thousand students, so we're nothing like a Milwaukee or, or Chicago school. Uh, but uh, we have a lot of technology needs just like every school does these days and we have real budget constraints just like every school does these days pretty much. Uh I started playing with Linux I probably gosh 94 era uh and installed Slackware one of the earlier versions and I thought it was neat but there just wasn't anything real practical I I could or wanted to do with it at the time and the web browser was the early Netscape one and couldn't go to a lot of sites uh, Flash didn't work, anything like that. So I kind of just kind of set the back burner for a long time. Uh, then bit around, oh, 87, 88, or sorry, 97, 98, um, decided to take another look at it and installed Red Hat then and played around for a while. And then shortly after, I got a job here at the school district. Now, when you first moved into the school district, what was your what was your first position there? Well, I was hired for the position I'm in right now, which is a network manager, which means pretty much uh, anything to do with the the servers, the network, internet access, uh, you name it. Uh, when I first started, uh, we were still using modems to connect to the internet, and not every machine had access and not every machine was on a network. Actually, the network was pretty Spartan. You know, we had a networking in some rooms, um, some buildings, and that was about it. So it was pretty. Uh, it was just we were just starting to tie everything together and try to get everybody on the, online and and get access to this stuff. Now you said this was about ninety seven, ninety eight, sort of in that time frame, about ten years ago. Right. I think my actual hire date was. Uh, Late July in '98, I believe. Uh, shortly after I started, I needed an FTP server, and I had been playing Linux again now for for maybe a year, uh, on and off, and knew that it was a piece of cake to install an FTP server because you installed 
Red Hat and you had an FTP server. Uh, so I decided to take a old PC and set that up, and because it didn't cost anything, yeah, my boss was all for it. So I did that, and it just worked great and ran and ran. Now, when you first started working there, how large was the uh, was the IT staff? The you know sort of your your team there at the school district. Uh, when I first started, uh, we had a director of technology who uh, is still uh, director of technology, but also holds uh, assistant superintendent, uh, supervisor, gosh, director of curriculum or something. She has like a three-part title. She's uh, a very busy person. Um, and we also had a manager of information services who took care of the student records uh, system and uh, software and the accounting system and software. Uh, and then there's me, and about two weeks later, we hired a, another technician. So at the time, uh, as far as people actually got down in the trenches working on PCs and Internet access and Windows, for the most part, it was two of us uh, with uh, that manager information services uh, doing some th- uh, oversight as well. Okay, okay. And just out of curiosity, how many, how many staff are there now? Uh, right now... Uh, we have, uh, I'm still in the position I was in. We have uh, someone else in the uh, kind of a district level technician position. Uh, we have three uh, techs who work among the buildings uh, doing a lot of brake fix, uh, replacing parts, installing uh, software, fixing things when it doesn't work, looking at the printers and all that kind of stuff. So the staff has grown by, you know, a couple of people in the in the ten years you've been there. Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the staff has grown by, you know, three more people or, or almost doubled. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, we've gone from a few hundred PCs to almost two thousand. Well, let's let's actually talk about the PCs and 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 you know I think it's kind of interesting and you know we'll get into the open source stuff first, but yeah, I always kind of like to paint the picture of you know the before and the after kind of a thing, and you sort of touched on this, but can you maybe go back to when you first got there? Can you just you know sort of describe the the technological landscape there at the you know in the school district? Sure. Uh, when I first started, I think every building had one network server. Uh, they had DOS and Windows 3.1, and at the time, I think we were just moving into Windows NT Workstation because you couldn't actually secure Windows 95 um, on the desktops. Uh, the buildings were very marginally tied together. In fact, I don't think we had any true LAN at the time uh, other than for some administrative applications, uh, you know, kind of Unix terminal stuff over uh, modems uh, and, and dry lines between the buildings. Um, and that's about it. That, that's really about all we had. We had some Macs in, in one or two labs that were networked to each other within that one room, and I don't think we really had much of anything else. And so I guess as you, you know, uh, sort of broadened your experience with, with Linux and open source software over the years, has has the technology there in the school system, you know, evolved to a point that you said now you've got several thousand computers. What 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 does the landscape look like today as compared to ten years ago? Yeah, yeah, today's pretty different than it was then. Uh, about the time I started, uh, we, they were just we were just getting uh, professional wiring in and getting a network that ran you know throughout buildings and tying the buildings together. Uh, now we actually have you know, uh, Ethernet over fiber uh, between buildings uh, for most of our schools. Uh, we have some outlying schools that are 16 miles away or so uh, tied back with some wireless through uh, a local provider. Uh, we're running Windows desktops for the most part, uh, some Macs. Uh, I think the only Linux desktops we have that are actually used as desktops is maybe myself and a couple of people in the AV department. Um, we have, you know, instead of one network, or you know, let's see, a total of eight or nine network servers, we probably have uh, 14 network servers, a uh, half dozen Windows servers, and maybe 20 Linux servers. Now, are there um, are there computers in the classrooms, and if so, how how many, just on average? Yeah, that that was something that changed uh, close to the time I started as well. 
started putting computers in the classrooms, starting with senior high and then uh, middle school and elementary schools. So now every school has at least one computer for the teacher's use in the classroom. Um, every room has at least one computer. Uh, a lot of them will have, several will have two. If there's a need, there's I mean, a few. We have a lot of uh, individual labs. Uh, I think we probably have five or six computer labs at the high school, uh, a few at the at one of the, uh, the middle schools. Uh, and elementary schools, we just built a new elementary school, and they have a couple of mini labs, a full-size lab, uh, you know, a group of computers in the IMC, which is a library, that you and me. Um, and so, you know, the number of machines per student has gone up from, you know, maybe one to ten uh, to, I think, we're, we're under one to three now, or right around there. Wow, that's a that's a big change in a relatively short period of time. Um, are, and you had said most of those desktops and or I guess most of the computers that are in the classrooms, those are all Windows-based computers. Is that right? Yeah, right. At this point, they they still are. Uh, we're we're looking seriously at the options uh, for Linux on the desktops. Uh, just the manageability aspect alone can be could be huge. Uh, it's it's always kind of baffling to me how you can take an entire lab full of machines, identical hardware, take one hard drive image, put it on every one of the machines in the lab, and then have five not work the same as the rest. And you just don't see that with Linux. You see it with Windows all the time for some reason, but I've never seen that happen in Linux systems. Yeah, and I imagine you could, you know, if you really wanted to, you could probably explore the, you know, Linux terminal server project, uh, you know, you know, thin client type of scenario, but that's probably going down a different road entirely. Uh, yeah, that's something I would like to do. Uh, if if it came, if we had the chance, and we could do it without uh, disrupting things, uh, if we could work it in with uh, the teachers, so that you know, our goal is teaching children, not uh, getting great tech. Um, but if we could do that in a way that was enriching and helpful and, and help learning. I absolutely would like to do that. Uh, that's where you really get the, the management benefits. You know, and we can manage an entire lab uh, or multiple labs and, say, upgrade open office just by installing one copy on one server instead of touching 25 machines. You get some real payback on the support side. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, and uh, I, I, it's been so interesting hearing. Uh, there's you know, been some interviews with the guys from the Linux uh, terminal server project. I think the Linux Link Tech Show guys just interviewed some of them recently, and it's just a fascinating project. Something that I've not played around with yet, but it just sounds really, really neat. Um, I'd like to kind of go back, you know, again, and kind of over, you know, the, the years that you've been there. Maybe you can kind of take some time and talk about um, where you've been able to bring in open source and and you know uh you know how that sort of evolved over time as well as you know i don't know you know the reactions of the school board or the, you know school administrators or perhaps your boss how has that played out and you know what kinds of hurdles have you encountered and have been able to overcome uh well when i, when I first started at at dc everest uh school district i I liked Linux. Uh, I, I agreed with the philosophy. Um, I've I'd done quite a bit of programming in the past before that in my, my prior jobs. Uh, so I understood the benefit of the GPL. I liked the GPL as a license. Uh, but I wasn't out to change the school, school over from Microsoft, uh, free them from Microsoft. Um, but uh, it just kind of was working out that way. Uh, it's just I've been I was my job was to make the things work and along the way open source Linux kind of has been the right way to do that. Um, early on, uh, our mail server we had a groupwise a Novell groupwise uh, mail server started uh, relaying spam. I got an email from somebody saying, "Hey, you're sending us this junk," and so I looked and sure enough, it was coming out of our server. It was being bounced through our server from somebody outside. Uh, and I went and called uh, our support and found out that I could uh, change a setting that would fix that, but if I did it, it would break email for several, uh, quite a few of our teachers. So that wasn't really an option. Uh, I had been playing with Linux enough to know about SendMail, know it could relay, looked online, 
And so I ended up putting our FTP server that we'd set up before in between our um, mail server, GroupWise mail server, and the internet as uh, a relay that only relayed the right stuff that it was supposed to and didn't relay whatever spammer wanted to send out. Uh, so that was our next, you know, that was the first emergency aver averted. Um, so I kind of went along and decided that I should know more about Linux and put uh, Red Hat 5.2 dual boot on my desktop for a while until uh, VMware Workstation came out and I learned about that around version 2.0, I think. Uh, so I installed that and I didn't have to do a boot anymore and then I really started to learn what was possible with Linux and you know, what we could do. Uh, I don't know if the if you're outside of education how many people know about the Child Internet Protection Act, the SIPA laws, but those went into effect early in uh, 2000 and basically you have to, if you get federal money, you have to filter content on machines that, uh, web content on machines that are uh, students use. Uh, so that came into effect, and all of a sudden the price of the web filtering software jumped from you know, fairly reasonable to, I think for us at the time, it was going to be $15,000 a year. Wow. For the, proxy, <laughs> for the proxy and the filter uh, the, to get the filter lists uh, updated regularly. So so in other words, let me just stop you right there, just make sure I understand you. It, it, for public schools, um, because they receive money from the federal government, there was a law that says that you've got to filter the, the computer, you know, internet access essentially using some yeah. kind of some kind of proxy server or some kind of content filtering mechanism. Right. right. Basically you've got to control the content that students can see. Okay. Uh, the children can see. You don't. There's no law that says you have to do it, but if you don't do it, you don't get the federal money. So gotcha. You've got to do it. Um, so we and the end of doing and the and the and the uh, proprietary um, services out there were you were pricing them out at about fifteen thousand dollars. Was that a year? Well, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, annual. Annual. Uh, between the the licensing for the proxy server and the licensing for the filters, uh, filter lists. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I thought, well, this is just kind of insane. Uh, we had been using some filters before that, uh, most you know, parents, and, and there's some concerns. You know, you've got a three-year-old searching for aquatic mammals, and uh, they, I do a report on aquatic mammals, and they search for beaver, and, you know, they're going to find. So mm -hmm. you have to prevent the accidental stuff to mm -hmm. some kid that's in third grade, you know. Um, but then all of a sudden, when that law came into effect, the, the prices just went, you know, up to fifteen thousand dollars between the two of them. So I decided to take a look and see what open source option was out there, and kind of found Squid Squid Guard. Uh, found some free uh, filter site lists that were available at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, I ran, gosh, three thousand URLs or something like that. Through uh, at, at home, I went and, and did Google searches for anything nasty or dirty I could think of, and and some other things that we wouldn't want kids to find, and uh, got all the URLs listed and fed them through our filters, our, our, our expensive ones that we were going to have to start paying for more than paying more for the next year, and then I ran them through uh, the free ones. And the free ones found 99.93% of the, of, of the same ones that the expensive ones did. Uh, all said and done, out of like 3,000 URLs, I think two got through that shouldn't have, or three did maybe, something like that. And, and actually one or two made it through the expensive ones that, that the free ones caught. Mm -hmm. So it was so close, you know, and $15,000 versus $0.00. It made a pretty easy decision. Well, yeah, I can certainly see that, and and obviously a lot of the benefit of of implementing open source in education is the cost savings, and I think that's something that, from what I understand, that you know you've you've really spent a lot of time in in sort of estimating and trying to make some comparisons. Is that right? Right, right. Um, yeah, like I said, I was hired to make sure things worked, and. Um, that's what my boss 
relied on me for. Um, and she was, uh, she had said at the time, and she says now that her, the way to get things done is to hire the right people and let them do their job. And so I was trying to do what I was hired for. Um, you know, it's it's easy to go and say, hey, we should use this free stuff because it's free, but it, it's got to do the job. It's got to do what it's supposed to do. And 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 if you're going to stay uh, stave off um, criticism. Uh, using open source because there's going to be some. Uh, you've got to make sure that you can say, well, you know, we we did the comparisons, we did the test. Here's some, uh, here's the results that show that what we're doing is really the right decision or the, the the appropriate decision. And when making those comparisons, or when you know maybe pitching, uh, you know certain ideas to to people, maybe either to your immediate supervisor or to the school board or something. What kind of resistance, if any, did you did you face? I mean, what was sort of the general reaction over the years, and, and has it changed at all? Yeah, well, it, it we, and there never has been much resistance, but it's because it was kind of eased in, and it was put in in areas where um, where open source or where Linux, I should say, um, plays real well. You know, on the servers, on the server side, uh, especially for internet type services. Linux does an excellent job. Uh, you know, our, we needed to put in a web server in, and uh, we wanted to have front page server extensions because at the time it fit uh, our, our needs. And so we called Microsoft uh, licensing people, and we were told by three different people that it was going to be about $7,000 just in Windows and Access licenses to have a web server. And we found out that Apache... Uh, has, there's a uh, uh, free front page server extension for Apache, and so we went that way. And when you do something, you save you know, seven thousand dollars, which at the time was probably I don't know five percent of our budget uh, in technology budget, uh, and it works. You don't get a lot of pushback, and then it's just proven itself over time so much now that it's it's welcomed. Uh, we just went to the school board who wanted to know a little bit more about what was going on with open source, and we wanted to make sure that they were uh, they knew what we were doing and were on board with what we were doing with open source. And we took a list of I know, a couple dozen probably projects that we'd done and, and how much it saved and how uh, it worked. Um, and you know, we haven't had any real failures with any open source projects, so um, they were pretty happy to see what we'd been doing. Uh, and we actually now have a board mandate to uh, to use and exp- explore open source in our school district. So it almost sounds like taking kind of the, you know, the practical approach and, and, and being pragmatic about where where you fit open source in. And, and, and it's really, you know, more um, results driven than anything else uh, is, and, you know, maybe Almost, almost using a soft sell, if you will, is is the way to go. It's, it's worked well. It's worked well for us. Uh, yeah. Evangelizing, evangelizing will only get you uh, so far. You know, if if you're going in, and granted, uh, schools kind of fit the open source philosophy. We believe in in sharing knowledge. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the whole purpose of schools: sharing knowledge, sharing information. So, uh, from that aspect, you know, it, it should be a good fit. But when you go in and that's your only selling point for using Linux, the only people you're going to sell it to is the people who have the same mindset. And you're not going to sell it to a business manager. You're not going to sell it to uh, a teacher who is maybe a little hesitant to, for change in the first place. There has to be some results behind it. They have to see that, hey, this stuff really does work, or you know, hey, this is pretty neat, or there has to be some benefits behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that's that's really getting on what you were saying that you you know the need to document the successes uh, sounds like that's pretty important. Yeah, I think I think you know in schools or anywhere, uh, if you really uh, think that Linux and open source is is the way that you should be going, you need to document your success, just like you're saying. If you don't, then nobody knows it's gone well. Um, and you can come back and say, well, we've done all these things with it, but if you don't have you know, something that you can put together that says, you know, hey, we saved $15,000 here, we saved $7,000 here, and we have a DNS server that has never gone down like our old one used to, and we have 
uh, you know, mail server that hasn't been sending mail, relay, uh, relaying mail out anymore, and that kind of stuff. It it makes a, a big difference for the people that you have to get approval for for the big projects. And you know, uh, coupled with that, is there um, ever you know an 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 opportunity to bring in some of the philosophical? issues in regards to open source, you know, in terms of the, the openness and the equal access, or is it, or is it nine times out of 10, purely a dollar issue, <laughs> which I would imagine it probably is. Well, well, with school budgets, you know, obviously the, the, the money is important. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, I don't think I've mentioned to you, uh, but our budget, I believe our actual, the budgeted amount for technology in our district is somewhere a little over a hundred dollars per PC. You just spread it out over the old PCs we have, and you know how do you replace even replace a computer on a hundred dollars a year? Uh, you know, so money counts. Um, there's no doubt, doubt about it. But you know, you, there's also an opportunity in schools to say, you know, hey, hey, take a look at our our kids that don't have very much money, families that are just getting by. You know, the ones that. Uh, can't afford a PC if they have a computer it was handed down to them by somebody else they certainly can't go out now and buy a $400 copy of some software program um, which means that that kid that has the hand-me-down computer from his uncle uh, they don't have the opportunity to use the software that maybe we're using at the school if we're not watching what we're doing um, that's one of the things that we've been pretty excited about actually if you go to our web page uh, it's dce.k12.wi.us, but for simplicity, you can also go to dceverest.org. Um, we're in the, on the front page. There's a link about an open source uh, program that we have got going on, and then if you click on that, there's more details. But what we're doing is we're giving CDs to students that want them, that have pretty much all the open source software we have installed on the desktops. Um, we have OpenOffice installed, I believe, on every desktop. Uh, and we have quite a few other programs, educational uh, programs, and you know, Tux Math, Tux, tux Typing, some really neat uh, astronomy stuff like Celestia, which is a 3D space, uh, I don't know how you even describe it, space simulator. Mm -hmm. You can fly between planets, and they're all you know, high-quality graphics uh, and 3D. Um, and you can see the scale of how, what the real scale of space is. Uh, teachers can make tours mm -hmm. that go between, you know, show off information about the solar system and fly it on their stars. And it's just, you know, amazing stuff. And we can give this all out to students for free. Um, so the kid that uh, is at home and with the, the, the hand-me-down computer uh, can run the exact same software at home that they're using at school that they need school they don't have to start with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I it yeah I couldn't agree more and I think that uh, you know especially with with the with the increase in programs uh, to get you know really you know inexpensive computers into the homes of families who are you know uh, impoverished uh, then being able to couple that with the experience they have at school that that's got to be that's got to be a tremendous value to those families Right, right, um, and for smaller school districts that don't that have even less money than we do, mm -hmm. um, it's it's critical in order to have some kind of equity in our education system that they can put software on. You know, let's let's, let's take Microsoft Office for an uh, example. Uh, state contract uh, for education is a pretty impressively low price of like fifty eight dollars or something like that, sixty dollars somewhere in there. But if you're trying to give every every kid in your school a computer and you have a thousand kids, well, that's sixty thousand dollars, which may be a school that size's entire budget. And you know, how do you do that? And then on top of that, if you're going to give it out, if you if you have a thousand computers, maybe or a thousand kids, uh, what about licensing for home use? You know, there's there's so many things that go on in on that too. If you want to have some kind of equity and some kind of ability for for the the kids that don't have that much uh, to be able to be on an even playing field with some of the ones that may have a little more money. Now, one thing that I've heard some some um, 
people who work in school districts, you know, other school districts have said that one thing that they've done is is to get, you know, throwaway type computers. I mean, they might cost $50 at a state surplus auction or something like that and and um and put you know linux on that on those on those machines and and have a lot of machines in the classrooms running linux that don't have any kind of paid software on there whatsoever um has there has there been any thought to do something like that in your school district uh yeah we're we're definitely we're keeping that open as an option uh we've had computers donated to the school in, in the past so they're 100% free but they didn't come with software so now all of a sudden you have to buy windows licenses and stuff you didn't expect you 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 know you don't want to turn down you know say 200 free computers uh but at the same time if it's going to cost you more money than you've got available in your budget you know you don't want to warehouse the things for a year till you can afford to to just put an operating system on them either mhm have you had the opportunity to uh talk to other uh, school districts, or, or you know, have you have you had the opportunity to to you know present these ideas to to people outside your school district and try to you know let people know what you've learned? Yeah, yeah, actually, I've been uh, fortunate that uh, you know besides supporting our use, uh, our administration at uh, our district is very willing to uh, help me or help other schools. Uh, learn more about what's available for open source and and Linux, and kind of you know, we 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 all kind of consider it trying to give back a bit for what we're getting for free. Uh, so you know, part of our payment, I guess, for the the software is um, that we're being allowed to go to conferences and uh, to do presentations on open source, uh, on Linux use, and uh, tell people about what. Uh, what we've done uh, just uh i think last month uh i was down at the national school board association uh technology and learning conference down in memphis or nashville tennessee and we did a uh, myself and another uh marie wordall from our district who is an imc specialist um went down to talk about koha and open source koha is a Open source library management software that lets uh, you know students check out books and see what's available and, and stuff like that and keep the book inventory. Um, and we ended up uh, it was popular enough or going to be popular enough that they switched it to be a mini academy with uh, three of us, uh, the two of us, and then another person uh, from outside our district presenting for a three-hour uh, mini academy. And it was real well received. Other other schools that were there, uh, you know, were really interested in this. We, like I said, we've all got the same kind of budget constraints, and we've all got a lot of the same needs. And there's also a conference every year here in Wisconsin, uh, a brainstorm conference that's uh, being held in March this year. Uh, that's for uh, K through 12 education uh, technology people. Uh, and it's really a great conference if you're in in that business, if you're in that job. Uh, that I've been able to uh, give a presentation last year on Asterisk, uh, open source uh, Linux-based phone system, which I'm actually talking, calling you from right now. Our Asterisk system at one of our new schools, uh, and you know, demo Asterisk and show you know what's possible and. And and some neat stuff come out of that. You know, this, the, the networking and sharing with others uh, can things that you don't expect end up coming out of it. Uh, like uh, somebody came up with that idea. Well, hey, hey, if we all had something like that, couldn't we set up our own uh, virtual phone network over the internet that we could call our your school from our school uh, toll free at any time and talk to somebody at any of your extensions. And so, yeah, I, you, I guess we could do that. That would be a pretty great thing to be able to do. We have colleagues from different schools be able to do that kind of thing and not incur an expense to the school district who's already strapped for cash. Are there other kind of, you know, what other projects? I know you've, you've obviously talked about, you know, FTP and, and web servers and, you know, 
those kind of, you know, uh, uh, standard, ho-hum. <laughs> yeah, ho hum back end kind of stuff. But what other kind of cool things have you have you been able to implement in the in the school system, like like the asterisk uh, system? Well, uh, we we touched on touched on Koha uh, just a little bit, and it really is pretty neat considering that uh, the the pricing that. We don't have final pricing, but the last pricing I heard for the competing commercial software that we were looking at was going to be something around, I don't know, $58,000 and then thousands, uh, in the thousands per year for maintenance. And, uh, you know, we have, we're running it for two of our schools right now, and it's working really good. But a neat thing that you don't get with commercial software is... Uh, the INC specialist that I, I mentioned, Marie, who went down to Nashville uh, with me for that conference, um, was talking to one of the developers and said, you know, what we really need for the younger kids is we need some icons that make more sense to them than just these texts and buttons. Then if they're searching for a title, they kind of know that that's what the search is for, if they're searching for keywords. And so she described what she'd like these icons to look for. And, you know, all of a sudden, ta-da, uh, soon after, um, somebody developed these icons for it. And there's a lot of work being put into Koha to make it school-friendly because it's really made for public libraries. Uh, and the same thing is true with uh, another really neat project that came out of left field for me. Uh, one day, uh, one of our AV people, uh, his name's Tom Burke, came up to me and said, uh, VCRs, at the senior high uh, kind of died um we'd like to get something else uh we'd like to be able to burn dvds i was thinking myth tv and i thought oh i cool i knew you did a little linux but i didn't know that you know that was something you're thinking about and i said yeah that that should work and so he did all the back-end work and researched it and uh we ended up getting myth tv put on a machine and we've been running that for a year for two schools now we have, actually have two of them that they record shows on. They burn DVDs for teachers' use. They can stream to classrooms uh, for classrooms that have a projector or something where they can show it to the class. Um, and then uh, when we went to zap to it for uh, program listings, so we, we want to be legal here. We don't, you know, all this, you know, actually open source helps us be legal because the licensing management is, is not as hard. Sure. Um, but we went to zap to it and we said, oh, hey, how much for, how much would it cost us to get licenses, or or what could we do to have uh, listings? And they came back with, I don't know, three thousand or six thousand a year or something like that. And we said, oh, okay, well we'll just schedule it by time and date then. Um, but now the, uh, uh, what's the the company that's doing uh, listings now? Uh, schedules Direct? Schedules Direct. Schedule Direct. Um, Tom has been in uh, talks with them about uh, providing listings to schools, and they've said that uh, after talking about it, they said, "Well, as long as you're using uh, Miss TV." Uh, and, and another idea of his was to have an education-specific skin for it that met the needs and in our needs more than just the basic home user needs. Uh, and they said, if you're using Myth TV with uh, you know, with an education skin, we can do something. And so now they're they're going to be rolling out a program that should be available uh, early in 2008 to provide listings for schools. Uh, I think I think one of the requirements is you have to be part of the cable in the classroom. I think most schools are. So uh, that means that most schools will be able to to get these listings from uh, Listings Direct at uh, surprisingly reasonable. <laughs> terms from what I understand. Wow, that is that is also that is just so cool. I think that um uh you know to see Myth T V used in that in that context and to and to and to see a community driven uh thing like, you know, Schedules Direct, which was, you know, from what I understand, really filled by the community when Zap to it said, you know, they were getting out. Um to kind of combine all that together and to provide a you know a full featured uh, solution like this to a school that I would imagine if you were to buy out and buy you know if you were to go out and buy hardware to do all the same stuff it would be just really expensive I would think yeah uh, I, w- I would think so and I think even with that um, you know some of the listings and stuff are meant for non-commercial use and even though education is is 
considered academic and considered differently for licensing purposes. A lot of times it's considered commercial. And like I mentioned, the Zamp Tuit licensing costs, what they wanted to charge. Um, now, listings direct, uh, even, you know, they couldn't just come out and say, hey, we're just going to give you listings because they've got obligations to where they're getting the list- listings from. Right. But they've worked with us and worked with them, and uh, they're working on getting a program put in place. And just, I, I thought it was, it was amazing. And you know, some and actually, um, I'm hoping. I think we just applied for this coming brainstorm conference uh, that I mentioned before uh, for Tom to give a presentation on uh, Myth TV and how we're using it and what's going on with uh, listings direct and and all that stuff. So I think it'll be pretty interesting for uh, for for other schools in our state. And I think this whole thing is going to be really cool for schools around the nation, in the world. Yeah, well, it, it certainly sounds like it, and that's just that's really neat. I just I enjoy hearing the stories of how you know of how all this stuff fits together in kind of real world examples, and it's just it's very creative and it's just very cool. Um, well, Corey, this has just been been awesome, and you know uh, I really appreciate the time that you've taken. Is there anything else that you know maybe I didn't think to ask you, or that you know we didn't touch on that that you wanted to be sure to, to mention before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think uh, well, maybe maybe one thing, um, you know, for listeners out there that don't work in schools, uh, one of the things you can do is 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 write letters to your school uh, school board uh, and and mention that you know, a lot of school a lot of schools are doing stuff with Linux, uh, Moodle, uh, M O O D L E dot uh, org. <laughs> Moodle is a really popular project uh, product for a lot of schools. Runs on Linux. Um, but let let your school know that a lot of schools are doing this stuff with Linux. And in my personal opinion, uh, anybody that isn't willing to at least take a serious look at Linux and open source for use in their school is not being fiscally responsible. They're not being responsible to taxpayers. You know, it's, it's our money that's paying for this stuff. I think we we need to. You know, not 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 demand, not accusatory, but let let uh, the school board know what's out there, and let let them know what uh, we've done in our district and what other people have done in other school districts. Uh, one thing that we try to do is work with the local newspapers, even, and uh, you know we've had interviews a couple times about open source with our local newspapers, so it's been pretty great for us, and uh, pretty great uh, to let the community know that hey, we're trying to keep costs down, we're trying to not just send money out of the area to somewhere else. Uh, but I think I think it's important that people realize that not only open source, but open standards, um, there's a big expense to switch from one word processor to another in a school because you've got training for all the teachers and you've got the software if it's commercial software. Um, and just shortly before I started, that switch was from Word Perfect to Word because uh, our state uh, education authority uh, Department of Instruction had kind of switched to Microsoft Office. So we really had to switch to Microsoft Office. Um, and so it gets to be important to have open document, ODF, uh, open document format files, something like that, some standards-based thing where you're not tied into a single vendor. and for schools, it's easy to get tied into one vendor because you're you're trusting who you're buying something from, and a lot of times the single vendor solution is the easiest one. A lot of times it's the labor, the least labor intensive option. But then you're kind of stuck with that, and you know we're we're, we're seeing what's happening with Microsoft Office, uh, you know, pricing and and rents, and uh, you know once you're in that, that's where you're stuck. Well, that's a that's an excellent point, and and actually that does bring up one one more question I had. Now that I think about it, your point about you know contacting the school board. Do you know, or have have you prepared, or has maybe uh, uh, other school districts prepared? Are there you know white papers, or are there case studies, or something that that you know actual physical documents that people can print out and and send to their school board and say, look, here's an example of something that that's worked. Do you know of anything like that? Uh, there's, um, let's see, 
Yeah, there's there's a couple reports. I've seen a couple things, uh, PDFs. Uh, I can we can get the URLs to get in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Uh, I know there's there's a rep- there's a PDF that has a listing of a bunch of different open source software that's available. Um, there's um, another one that talks of, that did a study on open source use in schools and why it's beneficial and why it's a good idea. Uh, we can try to get both of those out. Um, and, and you know, this this actually specifically is an issue. Uh, that's one of the things that I faced over the years is. You know, a lot of people are doing it, and we're not. Um, you know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get out there, and I'm trying to get to conferences and such, uh, and, and get the word out. But a lot of times, you do something, and you do it, and it works, and you don't really think to tell somebody else about it, and you don't think to to write up a white paper on exactly how you did it, so the next person can follow in your footsteps. Um, so that's something that and that all of us that are that are doing this stuff can can help with. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I started. It's enough of a challenge uh, for somebody going from you know uh, only a Windows background to start into this stuff. That uh, I started a, a kind of a side business too. That I'm helping some schools. There's a couple of schools in our area uh, and, and some small businesses too. That, but, but especially we're trying to concentrate in schools. Myself and uh, a friend of mine started a small business to try to help out and, and try to get schools going and, and you know get this stuff in there and, and get. You know, show somebody how to do this and how to get into it, so they can take care of themselves and and and, and take off with it on their own. Well, this is just fantastic stuff, and I, I you know, thank you again, Corey, for taking the time. Uh, it's just, it's very educational, <laughs> um, and it's very enlightening. And uh, you know, I I applaud the work that you've done, and hopefully, uh, people who are listening, either who work in in school systems or who, you know, have kids in schools or or anything like that, uh, might you know follow your lead. I think it'd be great. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the more we can do, the better. Uh, one, one other thing I'd say for people that are in schools, uh, you know, school in my kind of position or or higher, uh, well, I guess any technology position or even, uh, you know, school boards, administration, uh, who want to see this stuff in action or want want to come and talk to us or other schools, one of the best things you can do is uh, contact schools that are doing it already and ask if you can come for a site visit. Ask if you can come and sit down and talk about it and, and see what they've done. Uh, so far, there hasn't been a school that's doing open source kind of work uh, that, that's using a lot of open source stuff that I've talked to who hasn't said, oh, yeah, come on, sure, we'd be glad to show you what we're doing and, and how we set stuff up and you know how we save $50,000 on a phone system by going with asterisk or, or whatever. Uh, there's another school in our our, our state that they put in a, a open source based security kind of camera system and you know saved a lot of money and we've gone over to to their you know, uh, school halfway across the state and they welcomed us and showed us what they've done and you know that I think it's a great idea to if you, if you're afraid you know, you're you think you're in on an, in it on your own uh, get out there and, and find other schools that are doing this and you know talk to them because like i said everybody that's that i know that's doing this that's kind of our payment you know that that's our how we're trying to participate we don't you know if you don't have time to program and i'm not great at writing documentation what i can do is show somebody else how to do this and uh share what i've done thanks again Corey. have a good night you too Okay, well, I would like to thank Corey again. I had a really great time talking to him. It's a subject that that never gets old for me. I just think it's so cool to get different perspectives on this issue. So thanks again very much. Here are three uh, listener tips in a row, and then we're going to wrap it up for this week. Hi, Chess. This is Milton. I'm Blue Tang on the forum. In addition, I was the first audio comment contributor to the podcast. I want to thank you for your Ubuntu 7.10 review. Uh, you mentioned several interesting things. I wanted to mention a couple of things that I found helpful. Um, maybe this could go under the audio tip section. Uh, if users will go into the add remove under applications and type in effects while showing all available applications they will 
encounter the Compiz configuration application. Downloading them, that will enable them, once of course they install the proprietary video driver, to um, have uh, the cube, um, you know, fire effects, water effects, things like that, um, that add to the experience. In addition, if they go to system administration and then synaptic and type in emerald, they can download that application for adding uh, window decorations, which further enhance their experience. I installed the 64-bit version because I had learned that the non-free flash plugin will be installed if the individual has the Firefox Ubuntu Firefox plugin installed. Uh, when you encounter the website, it asks if you want to install it. And wonders upon wonders, it, it actually does install it. Um, just click, click, and boom, boom, you've got it. To me, that is a major accomplishment to enable um, flash installation on a 64-bit version, something that Microsoft and Apple have not done, to my knowledge. I want to congratulate Ubuntu on that. And I want to congratulate you on a very fine uh, show. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, thanks again. Hi, Chess. This is Alexandro. I want to leave a, a listening tip about um, changing the color of the URLs in OpenOffice. Basically, when you use OpenOffice, uh, usually you get uh, kind of like an annoying blue and most people don't like that. So this tip is to make it change to the original one. Basically, uh, to original black. Uh, you, you should go to stylist and you can, you can get the stylist by going to format. Then click on the character selection, which is at the top of the stylist, you see four different buttons. Uh, select the second one and then um, you might want to, you will see a list, you might want to filter the styles by selecting apply styles and you will see a style called internet links. And then you right click on the internet uh, links and you will see a modified uh, option, you can select that and then you can go to format and change the color of your links. That way uh, your links will look the same color as the rest of the text which is usually usually black, but then again, you can change it to whatever you want. And also, you can format the st the style. So you can uh, erase, for example, the the underlining, and you can apply um, bold instead. That way, your links will be bold as opposed to underlined. So that is my tip, and I hope uh, it's useful for your users. Oh, and by the way, if you want this to be consistent throughout your documents, you can create a custom template and save it as a default. That way, the next time you start OpenOffice, all your links will be on the automatic color. Uh, that's my tip, and I hope uh, people make good use of it. Bye. Hi, Chess. This is Carl from Minnesota. I thought I'd give you some tips on recording and editing audio from the command line. We're going to use four programs today. One is Record, R-E-C. Another one's Play, P-L-A-Y, Sox, S-O-X, and Encode, Ogencode, O-G-G-E-N-C. Sox stands for Sound Exchange, which is a universal sound sample translator. You can convert between formats. And it's got a lot of, some other tools, too. Uh, find out if you have these small programs in your distribution. Just type the, the programs, such as SOX, would be S-O-X space hyphen help. And you'll see either a list of some of the features of that program, or it will say command not found. First thing to do is to record your file, such as if you're going to do a listener tip, you could use this command. You could use record rec space file name one dot wave this will record your audio into that file name 
and then when you want to stop recording, you just hit Control-C to stop. Uh, I prefer to use uh, CD-compliant uh, sample rates. It's the default is 48. So to do it with a CD sample rate, you would type in REC space hyphen R space 44100 space file name dot wave. And after you hit control C to stop the file, you can see if, how it recorded by using the play command, or you can use your favorite audio player. But to use the command line, you would type PLAY space file name one dot wave. And if you're happy with that, other than maybe the sound level, usually you won't get the level quite right, it'll be too low. You want to adjust the uh, normalization, as I usually call it, the volume level of that file. But you'll want to know how much you have to increase it. So you type, you get some stats on the file by typing SOX, S O X, space, file name one, dot wave, space, hyphen E, space, S T A T. This will give you a, a line of stats for that uh, audio file. You know, I look at the, towards the bottom, there's a volume adjust number, and you'll get something like two, or if you clipped it already, if it's, you got maximum volume already, it will, it will say one. It will say it's something like two, 2.1. We can just round it off to two. So to adjust the volume, you use socks again, use the command line. SOX space file name one dot wave space minus V space two space file name two dot wave. The two after the minus V is, is that same number you got from the volume adjust from your stat file, from your stat statistics from your previous command. And in order to send just his tip file, if you're making a tip, tip file out of this, to play on the program, you'd want to encode it to AUG so you can send it in a file size that's small enough to send on the internet. You type in OGGENC space file name 2 dot wave space file name 3 dot AUG. That will give you the file name 3.i will be in the compressed format for internet use. Uh, if you prefer MP3s, some distributions have lame installed on them. You can use the lame command lame space file name 2.wave space file name 3.mp3. That will give you an MP3 version of, of the original file. Thanks for your podcast. It's really informative and helpful. Bye. Okay, everybody. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Corey again for the great interview. Really had a great time talking to him. And uh, just learned a lot, of, a lot of really cool things. And he has provided me with a long list of links. And rather than crowd the show notes with them, I'm going to provide a link in the show notes to a text document that I'll have, you know, on the website that you can view and, and you know, download all the links. And there's a lot of really good information. There's some PDFs. There's some presentations. There's, you know, lots of really good resources and materials there for, you know, if there's anybody out there who's working for another school district. I definitely encourage you to check out some of these links and some of this information. It may help you in, you know, formulating a plan for your own school district. So uh, thanks again to Corey, and thanks again to, to everybody who submitted those audio tips this week. We had a lot of really good ones, uh, and we had a whole bunch of really good ones during this whole little contest here. So uh, I will be reporting back to you all soon on, on you know, what we how that progresses and what we do in terms of, you know, the person who wins that book, the LPI certification in a nutshell. So I've got to get in touch with the listener who offered that prize first, and we'll have to kind of proceed from there. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to mention, I've got sort of my tentative schedule here for the next couple of weeks. I've got one, at least two more episodes to do here in December. 
and then that's probably when I'll take my break, you know, sort of a, a month-long break that will kind of get me through the maybe the third week of January, which is when I plan to go to this KDE event in uh, San Francisco at the Google headquarters for KDE 4.0, uh, and then I'll be back short. Excuse me, uh, short shortly after that. So, uh, but I'll keep you all posted, of course. So. Anyway, uh, feel free to contact me, linuxreality at gmail.com, and you can also go to linuxreality.com slash contact and see all the other contact information there, and please do stop by the IRC channel. We've, I've been hanging out there a lot, and we've had a lot of people in there. It's been fun. It's been very, very cool. Uh, that's hash linuxreality on irc.freenode.net. All right, y'all take care. Have a great week and a great weekend. I'll catch y'all next time. This has been Episode 87 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.